Would you pass out the scriptures and the rest of you, if you have your Bibles, open up to Galatians chapter 6. We're going through the epistle of Galatians, the letter to the church, churches in Galatia. And if you don't have a Bible, these guys will give you one. You're welcome to keep it. Galatians chapter 6. And we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We sit for the word of the teacher. So if you would stand, I would appreciate that. We're going to do five verses this morning. Uh, This letter was written to the multitude of churches in the region of Galatia, which is today modern-day Turkey. And a bunch of churches had sprung up there that Paul planted. He was dealing with uh, uh, legalists, uh, Judaizers that tried to attack this concept of of grace. I got to share with you this. It's a burden. And I'm going to share it with you. Um, And I don't know who you are. But I just saw how heavy it landed on Alistair. And I'm going to say it publicly because I don't know who you are. But I just want you to, to know how it affected me and how it affected Alistair. We have been teaching through the book of Galatians. We have been talking about grace. That we are not bound by the law of sin and death, but we've been set free by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Yes? And how the Judaizers are coming in to, to bring legalism, and we're watching this idea that we think we're saved by the law and we're not. Okay? And, and look around the room and the different way that people are dressing. And then look at me. <laughs> I deliberately wore this because the, the, I don't know if it was one person, two people, I don't know who it was. I just saw what it did to Alistair. They commented that he's gone seeker sensitive because he didn't wear a tie. Have you not been listening to this study? Please. This is a ministry of grace. You are not a Christian because you wear a tie. You wear your nice clothes. The robes that preachers wear. And and I was in a church where you could three stripes if you had a doctorate. You could only raise one hand if you had a master's degree, two hands if you had a doctorate when you gave the benediction or the blessing. You know where that robe came from? It was a business suit in the 1500s. Somehow we've elevated to being holy. Stop it. Really, give it a rest. Next week, everyone's wearing shorts. Wear your nice clothes. Uh, I'm more concerned with the condition of your heart than I am with the clothes you're wearing. And then some of you say, well, your clothes would reflect your heart. No, they don't. (laughs) Now, if I offended you and you don't ever want to come to church again, here. (laughs) Let's pray. No, let's read. We'll read, then we'll pray. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren. If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of, what is that? Gentleness. Gentleness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work. And then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. 
for each one shall bear his own load. I think, I look at that, I think it's a contradiction. He says, bear one another's burdens, and he says, bear your own load. Paul knows what he's doing. And I, I love this picture because, you know, there are, there are some burdens that are to be shared, and there's other burdens that are to be shouldered on our own, and then there's some burdens we just got to shed. And we're going to take a look at that this morning. Let's pray again. Lord, we pray without ceasing. God, I don't seek to offend, and I feel as though maybe I did. But yet, Lord, I, you've given me a shepherd's heart, and I, I just want to make sure that there's no wolves. I know their intention wasn't to hurt. Their actions did, but I don't think it was their intentions, because, Lord, your word says that love hopes all things. And I, I know that they intended well. God, I, I, just, I just pray that there'd be no adverse effect upon Alistair, no discouragement upon him, and Lord, for the body of Christ, may we be gracious and merciful and patient. And it's to a man's benefit to overlook an offense. I feel I haven't done that. So, Lord, forgive me. But I do pray, Lord, that you'd minister to us through your word this day. I pray your peace upon the fellowship. Lord, I ask that you'd encourage us through the study of your word as we would take a look at these burdens because, Lord, there's so many of them. And I know that we're to share them. Some we're to take alone. Or to shoulder them on our own. But then, Lord, I think of some that just need to be shed. And I pray that you would clearly define each of those for us this day through your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would encourage and bless. Knit our hearts together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. When the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the churches in Galatia. And he speaks to them as a whole. And he says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. I look at that, and I think in relation especially to Matthew 18, and I I was studying that this week, uh, just talking with a couple of people about it and how to approach that and is there a difference in these areas uh, between our secular work and our uh, our work in the church and uh, I see them as one and the same and the line isn't blurred. People say, how can you apply Matthew 18? And for those of you who are ignorant about Matthew 18, it, it deals with uh, what some would say is church discipline. But I look at it, and it says that we're to win a brother. It's the idea of winning a brother. Not to, not to spank them and, and, and call them on their sin and kick them out. And oftentimes, you can see that spirit in somebody. We've got to get rid of them. They're awful. And I would just say, examine your heart before the Lord, because is the way that you're responding to them the way the Lord responds to you? And I would say, in most cases, the answer is no. We tend to see sin on someone else as far more awful than it looks on, our, on us. Sin is far more despicable on someone else than it is on us. Amen. We're very critical. That's the nature of the beast of who we are. We're a selfish creature. And in Matthew 18, it says, if someone has sinned, uh, the idea is go and restore them, win your brother. And the way you win them is you want to say, 
um, your actions are contrary to your profession. For example, we can judge by action, but not for intention. I don't know what your intention is, but I, I can tell by your actions that this is contrary to what you're declaring yourself to be. If you say you're an apple tree, um, I'm looking for apples. And if I see oranges, the action is telling me that it's contrary to what you're declaring yourself to be. And as a Christian, you declare yourself to be this, but I don't see those fruits manifesting itself in your life. It's like, it's so much fun because all these things go through my head and, it, and, and the Holy Spirit's going, no, 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 no. <laughs> so where were we (laughs) that's the fruit of the spirit right there so we're allowed to judge on actions but not on intentions and so in Matthew 18 someone's actions are contrary to their profession of faith For example, they declare themselves to be a Christian, but they're living with their unsaved girlfriend. And they're sleeping with them. Brother, this is contrary to the Lord saying, number one, don't be unequally yoked. Do not commit fornication. Uh, All the things that the Lord's saying, it's, it's open and it's apparent to us that it's in contradiction to your profession. And we're witness to that. And, I, and, and I'm, I'm, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not a sleuth. I don't go out trying to find your sin. It's those times where it becomes apparent to me, whether it's, it's someone shares it with me. I don't go looking for it. And those are those times where you have to address it. And you address it and you bring that witness and you're the witness and you, you've been affected personally by it and you declare it. And then the scripture says, if they don't listen to you and you go to try to win them, you say, you know, I, I want to see you walking in the fullness of your testimony, and this is not working, and I, 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 it's, it's going to hinder your walk. There's going to be conviction of your sin. Your prayer life is going to be affected. Brother, please, repent. It's affecting you. And I don't need you to tell me how to, I can handle this. And then you bring others who have witnessed it. Witnesses, Matthew 18 says, you bring the witnesses in, and they speak. And they declare the same things. Brother, this is contrary to what you're... And I and please, and we implore you. And uh, then you bring the elders. Um, we're all being affected by it. People are asking questions. You're declaring yourself this, but you're acting as thus. You're rejecting God's commandments. You, you don't want to be in fellowship with us. And fellowship is this idea that we're dwelling together in unity. You don't have unity because you disagree and, and you reject those things that, that we hold to be dear that God is commanding us to do. And Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me, and you're not. And we're, we're asking you, why are you here? You obviously reject what this fellowship is about. And then he rejects that, and then we say, well, then we're going to give you what you're asking for. You don't want to be a part of this fellowship, so go ahead and leave. Well, but I got good business contacts here, and I really... No, no, that's not what a church is, so we're going to ask you to go. This is what you need to do. You haven't done this, so you're going to go. It's, it's oftentimes, especially with kids, my father taught me this, my mother, and I, uh, they taught it through experience. Uh, they created what was called a pouting chair. 
And you get a spanking, and my father was very patriotic. You know, he'd lay down stripes. I'd see stars. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and there was this, this pouting chair. And, and if you do this, son, this is what's going to happen. And I do this, and that was what happened. And I'd find myself sitting in the pouting chair, pouting, and, and uh, my father, you know, was a woodworker, and he made a pouting chair for our home, and all the kids have enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> some are, are more exciting to witness than others. Molly was a joy to watch in that pouting chair. That's a defiant kid. Is that, you'd spank her. Is that all you got? And you just see this, you know, saintly singing sweetheart, you know, Michael, is a, is he, he's a fun one, probably a little more recent, so it's fresh in my memory. But, um, you know, Michael, you do this, and this is what's going to happen. And he does it, and this is what And we send him to his pouting chair, and he's just sitting there. And it's pouting. Why? It's pouting. And the Lord puts us on timeout. We pout. And he's just complaining and whining. I go, okay. And after a while, you just kind of get sick of it, because we want to move on with life, okay? The family's waiting for you. Could you just get over your self-indulgence? It's amazing how it works even into adult life, right? And, we, and, I, and so finally, one of my things I bring, I say, come with me, and he comes into the bathroom, and I have a little Winnie the Pooh stool. Be careful how you say that. And, and my father-in-law made it, and you step up on that because you're little, and you look in the mirror. And so I'd have Michael stand up and look at him. And, I, and I'd say, you know why you're upset? Yes, because I have to go to my chair. You know whose fault that is? Yours. Well, no, 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 no. I, I want you, the person responsible for this is the one you're looking at. You see, because I said, you do this, this is what's going to happen. You did this, and so you're the one, you asked me to discipline you. You wanted to go to the chair. And he's looking going, this <laughs> is... He gets it. You're the one. Repent. When confronted with sin, you do one of three things. Blame others or make excuses or repent. Repent means I'm, I'm wrong. Will you forgive me? And then we're restored and we're, we're back to work. And, and in this picture, we get overtaken in sin. And the Lord says, restore such a brother in gentleness. We love catching people in sin. We love it. Oh, it's so good. And we just, we just slam on them. And we just want to bring down the church discipline and we want to get them slammed. The Bible says win your brother. And here's the problem. When you bear one another's burdens and you get into their world, that means you've got to know all their stuff. And you're like, I don't want to know their stuff. I just want to get my job done. Well, Christian, it doesn't work that way. You got to get into their world. You got to get into their world. You got to bear that burden. I think about all the times that we slam on people. And the Lord says, you know, consider yourself lest you also be tempted. You're, you're, you're only two clicks away from that, folks. Me too. The roles could be reversed just like that. 
You never know. I, I, one of my stories, J. Vernon McGee tells the story of, a, of, of a, a church member. J. Vernon McGee was a pastor. You still hear his voice on, on the radio. He's, he's been dead for a while, but he just, he's still preaching. And I, I'm, I'm going to ruin J. Vernon McGee's broadcast for you right now. They have made it so efficient that they've removed everywhere where he breathes. So now when you listen to his broadcast, you go, he never breathes. And he doesn't exhale. They've cut all those out so they can get more of the word in there. Sounds creepy. (laughs) But J. Vernon McGee, tireless presenter of the gospel. And J. Vernon McGee uh, had so much wisdom when it came to shepherding God's people. And he tells a story of somebody was criticizing him because uh, J. Vernon McGee ignored him uh, one day when he was at the subway. And... um, and J. Vernon McGee said, what day was that? He said, it was this day. And you just ignored me. You walked right past me, Pastor. And J. Vernon McGee said, you know, I, I did. I remember that day. I walked by a lot of people. He started to share with him what had occurred that day in his life. And J. Vernon McGee just laid it out of all the things that he had endured and all the stuff that he had been affected by. At what point the congregant looked at J. Vernon McGee and he apologized. As he was told... Pastor McGee's struggles. He told the man the situation that he had faced that day, and the man was empathetic and sympathetic. The man's heart broke, and he realized his pastor wasn't perfect, and that his pastor had a life of his own, and that he didn't exist merely for the sake of others at all times. He apologized. He became more patient, more kind, even though he was the one who had been offended. I share that because I, one of the common statements to me as a pastor, and I I don't regret this, I'm actually blessed by it. I've been uniquely wired by God for the job that I've been given. I cannot be in Hollywood. I I can't skateboard. I, I can't do that. This is what God called me to do. And, and this is one of the common phrases, Pastor, uh, will you pray for me or will you pray for my family or will you pray? And what they're saying is, Pastor, will you come and help me carry this burden? And I listen to the story and the story's heavy. And that's one and you add that and you put that in your prayer list and then another person calls and shares, you got that, and you carry those and they're awful. And there's a lot of heartache in the body of Christ and the larger the fellowship, the more the heartache. And everybody, it's not... It's not it's not if we're going to, it's when. We're all going through trials. We're either coming out of one or going into one. That's life. And I consider it a privilege to, to bear that with you. I really do. And, and I learned the easiest way to do God's work is to let the Lord do it. I, I take it from you, and I give it right to the Lord. I'm a conduit. It's okay, there you go. And then I direct you to the Lord in the process. And, and, and with this, it, it gets a little overwhelming sometimes, and you get burdened in the course of a day. And Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you'd be a servant of all. And, and I, I, I don't necessarily know that I'm the best equipped servant. I know there are some things as a minister I'm very equipped at, but there's others where I wonder why God made me a minister. I mean, I look at my brother. He's nine years older than me. My brother is, is one of the most engaging personalities. He could have met you in the second grade. He's now, what, uh, 57, 58 years old? 57? He could have met you in the second grade. And not only will he remember your first and last name, he'll remember a story about you, and he'll know every, the name of every member of your family. 
He goes on sales calls. He remembers every person he's met. He knows what products they carry and the things. And da, 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 da. I have, I'm like my dad. I, I can't remember squat. And, and, and uh, my dad one time was at the post office, and uh, he was in the throes of early stages of Alzheimer's. So he was, his memory was bad to begin with, and it was you know, now getting worse. And he's at the post office, and a guy comes in. They called him Mr. Coronado because you know, everyone knew him, and he was you know, outgoing, and he's just, just that kind of guy, and probably president of his fraternity and whatever. And he's in the line, and he sees my dad back there, and he goes, Roy, hey, Roy, Roy McCoy, how you doing? And my, my dad says, I'm, I'm well, thank you very much. And there's a line of people, and he says, oh, come on, Roy, you don't know who I am? Roy, you don't know who I am? I'm so-and-so. At which point my dad goes, you know, I liked you better when I knew you. He may not have had a memory, but he had a great sense of humor. <laughs> there are folks that, uh, there are folks that I'm, I'm blessed by because I'm not the best when it comes to names. And you can take offense by it. doesn't mean I don't love you. It just means I don't know you. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I kid you not, you, there are folks, and, and bless their heart, they'll come up to me and they'll go, Pastor Rob, uh, hi, it's Sue from church. Because first of all, it's out of context, and you know, and I'm like, Sue, hi, and then we converse. And there are other folks who come up; they'll say their first name, and and I've I already know them. I mean, come on, really? But they're being so sweet that they just don't want to. They know my struggles, and they're putting it out there every time. Because your dad has Alzheimer's, and we never know when it's going to kick in for you. <laughs> but then there's folks. There's folks that come up and go, you know my name. Mm. No, <laughs> don't, don't know you at all. I'm trying, association, something. I've gone through the alphabet. If there were more letters in the alphabet, I'd try those. But I, nothing's clicking. And they, there's an offense that, and listen, I'm going to let you down. I don't intend to, but I will. Some of you go, well, did not remember someone's name means you don't care. Okay, I, I've heard that. If... I've gone through those seminars. I've, I've tried. I really have. I will tell you a quick way to remember your name. Let's eat food together. If I can eat with you, I will remember you. And if your name rhymes with bacon. No, I'm just kidding. I know Kevin Bacon. But he, I, I remember one time a, a person said to me... Uh, I'm, I'm angry at you because you yelled at me and they were livid. They were just so hurt. And they were telling me all the things I'd done. And I said, you know, I don't remember that phone conversation. The things you're telling me I said, I, I, I would think I'd remember those. This is frightening me because I may have to go for a checkup, all the things you're telling me. And they were going down the list of all the things that I'd said and the way I was mean. And I was listening to that just kind of taken aback. I said, I, I, I apologize for my actions. I don't remember. I don't remember that. And um, there was a, a mediator there with us, um, and they said, what was the date of that again? And they shared the date. And the mediator goes, Rob, wasn't that the day your mom died? Yeah, it was. Come to think of it, it was the day she died. I don't remember much of that day. 
You know, my actions offended them, but I, I can tell you it was not my intention at all. And folks, there are times where we have to just, the Bible says love hopes all things. We have to assume that their intentions are well and we enter into their burden and we share that burden with them. And, and when you're going to work in a world with sinners and you're going to try to restore them, you're going to get dirty. And you're going to be affected by their heartache. And it's, let me tell you what's easy. And this is, this is, why, this is why these guys make thirty dollars to $50,000 a year. They prey on you because they know you're not willing to engage in the process. And they sit at the corner and they hold up a sign and you throw a couple of bucks their way and they make a fortune on you. And they do it because you don't want to know anything about them and you want to usage your guilt. But God doesn't give us that luxury to be sterile from struggle. He calls us to step into their world and be with them in that burden and to share that burden with them. And I have to tell you, I was blown away by Tanya Paulson's life. Here she is in the midst of stage four cancer. I I wouldn't be able to have picked her out of a crowd when I was asked to go visit her at the hospital and her husband. They came back to me as I saw the pictures, but we didn't have a lot of time together. But I'll tell you what, her, her life up until the point where I had connected with her obviously had an enormous impact because the place was just, every seat was filled. We had people standing in the back. And, and here she was, she was engaging in the lives of others. And it wasn't easy because some of the folks it shared were still in the midst of stage four cancer. You want to get involved in somebody's life? That's a tough one. There's going to be sleepless nights. There's going to be a lot of tears. There's going to be a lot of depression. There's going to be family members affected. You want to step in and share that burden? you got two teenage daughters that now don't have their mom with them. you got a husband who's going to be celebrating Mother's Day coming up. That, that hurts. And you're going to hold that hand and you're going to walk through that valley of the shadow of death with them. That is the body of Christ. Brethren, if someone is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Minister to them. Minister to them. Now granted, there's this time where there's an offense, but this idea is to restore them. We're in the business of, this is a hospital for the hurting. Now, People know that. People know the church is a place where there's mercy and grace. And they come in to take full advantage of that. And they play the body of Christ like a fiddle. The Bible says, bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. It declares to us as believers, for if anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But then he says this, Let each examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. But then verse 5, listen to this. He says, for each one shall bear his own load. Each one shall bear his own load. There are are burdens to be shared. And we're to restore, and we're to encourage, and we're to help, and we're to minister. But there are burdens that you are called to shoulder. And this is where we separate in the body of Christ. And this, this, is, this is where we don't tolerate those who come in to take advantage. People know how to play the body of Christ. I, 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 I've had people, 12 years of ministry, I've, I've, I've seen quite a bit. I had one guy 
write a letter. I received a letter at Christmas time speaking of this member of our congregation in flowering terms and how amazing they were and all the things they'd done and the people they'd helped and how selfless they were. I mean, it was such a, it was one of the most beautiful letters I've ever seen. I mean, you put it on the internet, it would be, everyone would be sending it and saying, send us the 10 other people. I mean, it was just, it'd be an amazing letter. And I read this thing, I was so moved by it that I, 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 with the elders, we sent money to the member of the congregation because somebody was praising him other than himself, and we sent that letter. And I'm driving to work one day, about a month and a half later, as I'm driving, the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, uh, the member of your congregation wrote that letter about themselves. It's a scam. I go, oh, come on, Lord. I get to work, and I turn to the assistant pastor, um, and, and his name was Eric Smith at the time. I said, Eric, I think so-and-so wrote the letter. He goes, the Lord told me that this morning in my quiet time. You know what? He did. He played us like a fiddle. He was a sinner, but he was an unrepentant sinner. Well, what does that mean? That means that we come to a place in life where we are to share burdens, but we're to shoulder our own. Paul clearly says, for each one shall bear his own load. What does that mean? There are some burdens which no one else can help you with. There are some burdens that no one else can help you with. And here's one of them. The consequences of your sin. That's your fault. We live in a day and age where people want to ignore the consequences of their sin. It's not your fault. It's the way your parents raised you. You weren't breastfed as a child. <laughs> now you can take that a little too far. And, and, but the idea is we can't shrug off personal responsibility. The body of Christ is anemic. Because we have adopted a victim mentality. How do I know this? Because the scriptures declare, listen, the scriptures declare, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Now, a victim mentality is like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God said, you can eat of any tree, freely eat, but of this tree do not eat, because when you do, you're going to die. Good reason. (laughs) They eat of it, they're hiding, trying to cover themselves in fig leaves, and God says, where are you? And it wasn't because God was like, where'd they go? (laughs) No. No. He said, where are you? Because he has given them an opportunity to repent. God, we're hiding because we've sinned against you. We did what you said not to do. I know. But instead, the woman said, um, you know that apple we weren't supposed to eat? Well, I did, but it wasn't my fault. It was the serpent. The serpent did it. And then Adam's like, wasn't me. I mean, I ate of it, yeah. But it was the woman you gave me. (laughs) 
I'm just a victim. There's a police officer who is suing to be reinstated in the force because he's an alcoholic and his actions have gotten him fired from the force. But he's saying, I have a disease. And you can't kick me out. We're family. You can't kick me out. Just cast me by the wayside because I have a disease. If alcoholism is a disease, it's the only one I know where you have to open the cap and ingest it. Stage four cancer is a disease. Alcoholism is willful disobedience. Now, I know some people have a greater disposition to alcohol, like me. And I'm, yeah, I can say I'm Scotch or I'm Irish. I never drank to drink. I drank to get drunk. I was a happy drunk, but I drank to get drunk. And I knew that it came to a place where this, this doesn't work. So the picture that you see here is that we need to be responsible for our own actions. We need to come to a place. Listen, we can rise above and break the cycle if we do it in God's help. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Or you can go, my parents were alcoholics and they beat me and my mom was an alcoholic and she beat me. Listen, my grandfather was the town drunk. My grandmother was the soothsayer and the tarot card reader and the palm reader of Indianapolis. I was talking to a gentleman the other day. This is the first generation that has no alcohol. Everyone else in his family had all been drunks. He's the first one to say, Christ help me. His children have been raised with that. My daughter, for her 21st birthday, we gave her a glass of wine. She took a sip and go, oh, this is awful. That was it. I'm like, you are not a McCoy. <laughs> you break the cycle. You break the cycle. We're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, you can, you can sit and, 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 and blame everybody. But it's between you and the Lord, and, and God is saying, you know, it's, it's like the, the guy by the well. And he's crippled. And Jesus says, do you want to be made well? Well, every time I try to get in the pool and the thing, and they move the water, and the angel moves it, and I try to get in. Somebody gets in before me, and then I don't get in, and I don't get healed. And I've been here for 30 years, and I just can't get there. I just can't get there. I'm the little engine that could, but I just can't get there. Jesus is like, wait a minute. I didn't ask you about that whole story about the water and the ripples. I asked you a question. Do you want to be made well? Well, yes. Then take up your mat and walk. We don't want to be made well. We want to be a victim so that everybody has sympathy so we can get money in the cup. So that someone's going to listen to our story. And you know what the Lord's telling you to do? Shoulder that and start serving. Shoulder it and start serving. You can't choose the consequences of your sin, but you can choose not to sin. We have a free will. And that's where we need to grow up and rise up, fess up, and say, God, I'm responsible. So we can share a burden, but we also have to shoulder a burden. And the shouldering of that burden is the consequences of our sin. We like to play the blame game. I remember in this idea we want to be bitter with God. 
because he's not doing what we want him to do and in the timing in which we want him to do it. And I remember when I was, um, I graduated from Fresno State and I got a job in the industry and, and, uh, and then I moved back to the San Joaquin Valley. I went back to the college group that I'd been a part of and been discipled. And a lot of you have heard this story, but it fits here. And, and I remember uh, when I came back to the college group, I met this young gal. And she was new to the college group, and, and we started going out and dating. And, and I, had, I, I had started walking with the Lord, and, um, and I was a Christian. And I told my dad about Christ, and my dad said, get that Jesus crap out of my house. And here's a man, three tours of Vietnam. He was balancing the checkbook when I came to tell him that he needed Jesus or he's going to hell. And, and, you know, checks that he has to pay for all the things I'm doing because I don't even know how to balance a checkbook. But I'm going to tell him how he's supposed to live. Here's a guy that's got a bronze star, legion of merit. I mean, this, this guy has been living with, you know, walking through hamlets in Vietnam where these rockets that he's launched and he's having to see the babies that he's killed and he's responsible for. And he's processing life. And some punk comes in and tells him he needs Jesus or he's going to hell. And my dad just looked at me and he said, get that out of my house. You haven't even earned the right to talk to me about the Lord. This is a man that had already hitchhiked across the country at the age of 16. He was the first one in his family to get a college education. All four of his children had a college education. This man poured his life into it. And I come in telling him he needs Jesus. He says, get it out of my house. And then, and then I pursued the Lord and, and I was going on my way. And finally when I started to get some wind underneath my wings and started to get a little lift in my life. And I had employment. I started to get a little more cocky. And I went back and this promotion, and, and, and now I'm in the San Joaquin Valley. I've got a promotion. I'm doing well, and I meet this girl, and we get involved and improperly, and you know, fornication's part of the scheme, and the next thing you know, she's pregnant. And I go to tell my college pastor, and, and we went up, you know, trout fishing up at Dinky Creek, and I'm telling him that that I, I blew it, and, and so-and-so's pregnant, and, and I, I'm sorry, and he's just, he, he's like checked out. He's not even talking to me. There's no sharing that burden. He's looking, going, you've got to shoulder that one. He wasn't going to share it. And he was very distant, strange to me. I, I was used to him. He married three kids. He'd been through trials. I was thinking he would be, of all people, one that would be comforting, but no. He was just quiet. I remember making that long drive to Sacramento to go tell my parents, and this was a tough one, and I had to shoulder this. There was nobody else who was going to sit in that room and tell them what I had done but me. It was my deal. That was my deal. No one was going to share that with me. I told my dad, I said, this is what I'd done. I told my mom, this is what I'd done, and I've blown it, and we're going to get married, take care of that baby. My dad said, no, no, terminate that pregnancy. Don't ruin your life. I go, oh, Dad, I can't do that. I terminate that pregnancy. I kill that child. Uh, I, I, I can't do that. that. That goes against everything I believe in. And my dad looks at me and he says, look where your beliefs have gotten you so far. Nothing like being con- convicted by a pagan. And I said, Dad, I can't do that. My dad said, then you'll never step foot in this house again. I said, okay, I, I love you and I'm going to miss you. And I left. And that was my burden. I shouldered it. And I walked out with that burden because it was the consequences of my sin. 
And no baby was going to die on my watch. I had blown it. It's time to buck up. Take responsibility for your actions and, and don't let children die because you're afraid of the consequences. I didn't like it. It wasn't pleasant. It was hard. But nobody's going to... The Lord walked me through it. But here's, here's the part that gets me. And this is Psalm 52, or excuse me, Psalm 55, verse 22. The Lord says, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall lift you up. He shall lift you up. He shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Now, I like that because in Psalm um, 55, when he says he shall sustain you or he shall lift you up, he doesn't say he's going to lift the burden. He's going to lift you. You're still going to carry the burden. I'm just going to lift you. It's like having a little kid up here and loading them down and they're just overwhelmed. And you say, come on, step up the stairs. They're like, and they can't. I just reach down, pick them up, and I carry them up the stairs. They're still going to carry the burden, but I'm going to lift them. And why does God make you carry the burden? Why does he make you carry the burden? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Mark this down, but listen to the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation that we, listen, that we, listen, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Rob, you're going to Sacramento. You're going to sit in front of your parents. You're going to be alienated, ostracized, and treated like a penny looking for change. You're going to carry this burden. You're not going to share it. You're going to shoulder it because I want to show you that I'm going to lift you in the midst of it. Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm with you. I will comfort you. And you will comfort others with the comfort you yourself have received. And now I stand before you this day telling you that God saw me through that day. And he will see you through this day. He is faithful. That's how God works. He makes us ministers of others. Now I could have sat and complained and whined and been embittered. Nobody loves me. Nobody calls me. You know what? You ready? You want to whine? It wasn't my baby. I had told my parents that she was pregnant and I had defended a child that wasn't even mine. You know whose baby it was? It was the college pastor who had discipled me, who was married and had three kids. That's Jerry Springer, baby. (laughs) The woman who had lost her son in the ancient Chinese community and she couldn't get over the loss of her child and she was mourning and weeping and she was paralyzed by the pain and the sorrow and she'd lay in bed and she couldn't do anything and she went to the elderly sage man in the Chinese community and said how do I get my son back how do I get over this heartache and he said you go and find a home that has no sorrow and no heartache and from that home bring a mustard seed and with that mustard seed I will lift the burden and I will bring your son back And so for months she traveled and she finally came back and said, in all my journeys, I was never able to find a house without sorrow and without heartache. But in my journeys, I've come to realize how selfish I am in my self-indulgence of my own personal pain when I've heard the pain of others. You see, 
You want to be lifted of your burden? Step in the world of somebody else's. You want to be great in God's kingdom? Be a servant of all. Don't make it about you. Serve one another. Love one another. I want to close with this. There are some burdens that we share, some that we shoulder, but there are some that we need to shed. Jesus said in Matthew 11, he said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Let me, let me share this with you. You've been paralyzed because you think your sin is so bad, God can't use you. This is a burden you need to shed. Jesus took care of your sin on that cross. And he has cast your sin as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. Romans 8 says there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Whether you have committed adultery, you've committed fornication, whether or not you have been one of the millions in this nation who have been affected by abortion, whatever it is, the guilt is gone. God paid for it. You're no longer paralyzed by guilt and condemnation. Jesus has set you free. And he who the Son has set free is free indeed. It's time to shed that. Cast your cares on him for he cares for you. Don't let Satan keep you in the realm of being paralyzed any longer. You've been set free. There's some burdens we share. Some we got a shoulder. We're not victims anymore. We're more than conquerors. But some burdens we just got to shed. And you leave them at the altar. God's come to set you free. Amen? Amen. Let's close with prayer. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. We cast our burdens on the Lord. He lifts us up. We come to Him. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And so, Lord, we come this day and we recognize that there are some burdens that we need to share, others we need to shoulder, and some we need to shed. There's no better place to do that than in the body of Christ. There's no condemnation. Nobody has the corner on morality in this fellowship. The only good thing in any of us in this room this day is Jesus Christ. He's the only one who gets any praise. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And today, God has moved upon your heart. You know that you have not been faithful in sharing burdens. You've been selfish. Some of you have had a victim mentality and, and you want other people to shoulder a burden that is rightfully yours. Quit making it about you and walk in the freedom that's found in Christ. And then there's some this day that the enemy's been lying to you. He's told you God wants nothing to do with you and you are a wretched sinner. Just remember this. Christ has cast your sin as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have been cleansed. You're a new creature in Christ. 
You forget what's behind. You strive for what is ahead. And when Satan reminds you of your past, you remind him of your future. Excuse me. You remind him of his future. (laughs) God is good. And Lord, we thank you for what you've done this day through the power of your word. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.